Welcome back, week two, uh, Rhythms of Grace. Glad that you've chosen to join in with us again today. Uh, what we're doing together during this series is we're looking at a set of practices known to us as the spiritual disciplines, things like uh, prayer, fasting, reading, and worship. And today we're gonna be looking specifically at prayer. What is prayer, uh, why we pray, and how we pray. If you missed our first session, I'd encourage you to uh, go back and listen or watch that video, check that out. Uh, but in case you missed it, here's a quick recap. Uh, before we begin diving into what we need to be doing as followers of Christ, we wanted to look at who Jesus is because before we focus on the do, uh, we have to understand the who. Everything that we do as followers of Christ needs to be rooted firmly in our identity um, as His. And so we want everything that we do to be the results of the natural overflow that happens from a soul that is well rested in Jesus. So uh, we said last week that we're not after forced discipline as we work for God, we're after unforced rhythms that flow from rest in Jesus. And our rest in Him is the foundation of all the work that we do for Him. A few years ago, our community group was meeting in our home and we were having a conversation about what it means to truly seek the Lord. And uh, someone in our group brought up the words of Psalm 63, which say, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked up upon you in, your, in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands." And after reading that passage in the room for a few minutes, it was silent. And then that silence was followed by a lot of raw honesty as we just had a, a conversation where we asked ourselves, how much could we say that this is true of us from what we find in Psalm 63? How many of us truly pursue the Lord in the way that we see in the words of the psalmist uh, in Psalm 63? And we were really just, just kind of laden with some guilt, so feeling like we weren't fervent enough in our pursuit of the Lord and who He is. And uh, even through questions that were emailed in uh, through the course of this week, I, I know a lot of que uh, Christians who have expressed these exact same frustrations. So we say things like, I really don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to, or when to pray or where to pray or, or exactly uh, what the context said in my prayers should be. And so all of us as followers of Jesus have probably been guilty at some point in time of saying, I don't have time to pray. So what is prayer? Why do we pray? And how do we pray? That's what we're going to be looking together at briefly today. So uh, J. Gary Millar has defined prayer like this. He says, prayer is the act of asking God to do what he has already promised to do. We do this through the power of the Spirit as adopted children through the Messiah, Jesus. We see this kind of interaction with God evidenced throughout the Bible as His people continue to ask Him to follow through on His promises and bring about His kingdom and rule. We can be confident that God will answer our prayer for His purposes because He has explicitly promised to bring His purposes to pass. These include for God to glorify Himself, for forgiveness, for our own knowledge of God, for godly wisdom, for the strength to obey, and for the gospel to spread. So prayer can take several different forms. There are prayers of praise where we worship God for who He is. There's prayers of thanksgiving where we praise God for what He's done. There are prayers of confession where we lay our sins before God. There are prayers of repentance where we turn from our sins and to God. There are prayers of lament where we cry out to God in pain and frustration and suffering or prayers of intercession where we're praying for the needs of others. And regardless of the form, 
Prayer is, as Millar stated, the act of asking God to do what he has already promised to do. We do this through the power of the Spirit as adopted children through the Messiah, Jesus. The activity of our prayer will be a natural, unforced rhythm when it is rooted in our identity in Christ. When the gospel takes root in our hearts, the natural overflow and our natural response is going to be one of prayer. So what we pray, why we pray, and how we pray, all of these are demonstrated to us through the teachings of Jesus as he teaches on prayer in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, this is the passage, the chapter of scripture that we're going to be in together actually for the next three weeks as we talk about prayer, as we talk about fasting, and as we talk about giving. So uh, look at the context of Matthew 6. You, you can look at the Sermon on the Mount really as the manifesto that Jesus gives for what it means to be one of his followers. Jesus begins Matthew chapter 6 teaching on these three subjects, but not just giving content for how to do these things. He also gives some instruction on how not to do these things. Jesus begins Matthew 6 by uh, cautioning people against self-righteousness in three areas where we are very prone to self-righteousness, in our giving, in our praying, and in our fasting. So Matthew 6, 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So he addresses all three of these topics where we're prone to becoming self-righteous, and in all three, he begins with the words, And when you... So Jesus is teaching on all three of these practices as if they should be natural, unforced rhythms in our lives. And on each subject, he doesn't just give instruction on what to do. He gives instruction on what not to do. So listen to how Jesus starts his teaching on prayer in Matthew 6, verse 5. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Pay attention to how the hypocrites pray. He says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, we need to understand right away that Jesus does not teach prayer to us as a suggestion. Jesus teaches prayer as an assumption. It's just an expected assumption that those who have rested their souls in Jesus, those who have rested their souls in the Heavenly Father, the natural overflow and unforced rhythm of our life will be one of prayer. Martin Luther said of prayer that as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and the business of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, as well could you expect a plant to grow without air and water as to expect your heart to grow without prayer and faith. Oswald Chambers said, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. When you pray, Jesus teaches prayer as an assumption. We cannot treat prayer like a suggestion. Prayer becomes an unforced natural rhythm. It's a reflexive, uh, it's a reflexive action of a soul that has been well rested in Jesus. And it's simply asking God to do what it is that he's already promised 
to do. So before Jesus gives instruction on how to pray, he gives a couple of lessons on how not to pray. So before giving us the content of our prayers, he digs in and helps us with the how and the why. So here's what he says again in Matthew 6, 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So how do we pray? Jesus shows first that we should pray in humility. We should pray in humility. He says, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, this word hypocrite had its origins in Greek theater, and it refers to actors who wear masks to play various roles. So in this culture, there were set times of the day that Jewish people would come together and pray. Uh, and many people would do this, not uh, simply out of the overflow of their hearts, but because they wanted to be seen and praised and celebrated by others so that they could draw attention to themselves. Now, when you and I think of a hypocrite, we tend to think of someone who says one thing and does another, but that's not how Jesus uses the word hypocrite here in Matthew 6. Because a hypocrite here in Matthew 6 isn't someone who says you should pray and doesn't pray. The hypocrites here are actually praying. It's not that they're doing the wrong thing. It, they're doing the right thing. They're just doing it from the wrong motivation. And Jesus teaches us to be on guard against this. They pray that they may be seen by others. According to Jesus, a hypocrite can be someone who does the right thing, but from the wrong motivation. And so we have to guard our hearts against the pride of what might well up within us and simply our desire to be seen by others. Prideful prayer is an oxymoron. Prayer is the ultimate act of dependency where we are laying ourselves before our heavenly father as the one who can supply our only need, needs that we cannot supply ourselves. So we pray in humility. Here's what Jesus says again in verse six. He says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. So we pray in humility and second, we pray in secrecy. And it's not that we have to pray by ourselves all the time. It's just that when we pray, we're content to not be seen by anyone else because we know that our Heavenly Father is the one who sees us. Frequently in the Gospels, especially Mark 1, Luke 5, we see Jesus take intentional steps to be alone for the express purpose of having intimate communion and fellowship with His Heavenly Father. He gets away from the crowds. He gets away from the disciples. Sometimes Jesus says no to ministry needs so that he can simply have uninterrupted times of prayer with his father. And man, I, I think in our age of distraction, this is such a challenge for us. We struggle so much to have just 15 to 20 minutes of guarded time where we are free of a screen, free of device, free of, of anyone being around us, where we just on our own have our door shut and it's just us and our heavenly father. But if we avoid secrecy, we'll lack intimacy. The intimacy that comes from knowing our Father is something that we find in the secrecy of a prayer closet. Psalm 43:10, a very famous passage that many of us are well acquainted with, says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The psalmist shows us here there's a direct correlation between our understanding of God and our ability to be still. When was the last time you had 20 focused minutes of secret, uninterrupted, undistracted prayer where you could simply be alone with your heavenly father and be content that he's the only one that sees you and he's the only one that knows you? No phone, no plans, no people, just prayer. This is what Jesus calls us to here. If we avoid secrecy, we'll lack intimacy. Jesus teaches something very important. When we pray alone, we're not actually praying alone. 
Because even as we're alone by ourselves in our closet, we are forever indwelt by the presence of the Holy Spirit and we are surrounded by the love of our Heavenly Father. He sees us in secret and He will reward us. Jesus goes on to say in verse 6, When you pray, go to your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And this is the promise, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we pray in humility, we pray in secrecy, and third, Jesus shows us to pray expectantly. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And how does he reward us? By giving us himself. That is the reward, is that we get him. We're bringing him glory. This is what Paul writes in Romans 8 about this relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. Verse 15, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You and I do not come to God as slaves seeking the approval of a master. We come to him as children who already have the approval of a father. This is the relationship that he invites us into. So we come to him in humility. We come to him in secrecy, content to be seen only by him. And we come expectantly knowing that he will give us the very best he can give us, which is himself. Prayer is asking God to do what it is that he's already promised us to do. So that's what is prayer, that's, that's how we pray, why we pray is because our Father sees us, but what is the content of our prayer? This is what Jesus reveals in verses 9 through 12. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Prayer is asking God to do what he has already promised he would do. So we pray our Father in heaven because he has promised that he will forever be our Father. That's what we read in Romans 8. We pray, hallowed be your name because he has promised that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory. That's Habakkuk 2. We say your kingdom come because he has promised to establish his kingdom forever through Christ. That's Isaiah 9. We pray your will be done because he's promised that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's 1 John 1, 5. We ask for forgiveness and strength to forgive because he's promised that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's 1 John 1. We pray for him to not lead us into temptation, to deliver us from evil because he's promised that for every temptation, he will provide the way for escape. That's 1 Corinthians 10. Do not overcomplicate this. In prayer, we are simply asking God to do what it is that he has already promised he would do. If God has promised it to his people, then we can confidently ask for it in prayer. So listen, you, you might be listening today and you might feel like a total failure because you don't wake up every single day at 2 a.m. and pray for five hours at the beginning of every single day. But there's a very important truth that I think you and I need to rest in here today from Matthew chapter six. It is better to pray a few lines authentically than to pray a long a prayer superficially. Let me say that one more time. It's better to pray a short prayer authentically than to pray a long prayer superficially. It's better that you and I spend a couple of minutes each day confidently praying the Lord's Prayer here than to let our minds wander and meander for three hours at a time just with the same vain repetition over and over and over again. And so here's my challenge for you this week. It's very similar to what we did last week. 
This week, I, I hope you'll find a quiet place for 15 minutes. 15 minutes. And open up your Bible here to Matthew chapter 6 and read verses 5 through 13, the Lord's Prayer, slowly. Just read it slowly. And then pray the Lord's Prayer one line at a time. And as you pray each line, pray the line and then just pause for a minute. Pause and reflect on that line and rehearse it again in your mind and, and meditate on the promise of what we find in that line and what's being asked in that line. So you just read that first verse, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And just repeat that a couple of times and just let it sit for a minute as we meditate on the word of the Lord. Praying a few lines authentically is much better than praying for five hours superficially. But beyond this, let me just recommend a few helpful resources for you today. First resource I want to give you when it comes to prayer uh, is actually located right there in your Bible, the center of your Bible. It's the book of Psalms. One of the best investments I ever made several years ago was I, I got a, a little leather-bound book that is simply the 150 Psalms that we find in the Bible. I think oftentimes we forget the Psalms were the, the early hymn book and prayer book of the church. If you will learn to pray the Psalms, you will always have a prayer to pray, you will always have a lament to cry, a song to raise, a confession to make, and thanksgiving to bring. And so I just want to encourage you, learn to pray the Psalms. Take what you find in the Psalms, personalize them, and send them back as prayers to the Lord. Second resource is a year-long devotional by Charles Spurgeon called The Promises of God. This is actually what I've been walking through in 2020, and I found it incredibly helpful. Each day focuses on a unique promise of Scripture, and then it's a very short two to three paragraph reflection from the works of Charles Spurgeon. Third, newer resource. I was just released recently a book by Craig Rochelle called Dangerous Prayers. Uh, this book is, is simple. It's short. If you're into short books, then this one is for you. It's a quick read. It's short. It's simple. And it is insanely practical. And I would just encourage you to check that out. But whatever you do, don't avoid praying just because you don't feel like you're good at it. That is the work of the enemy speaking lies into your mind. There's a reason we didn't call this series Rhythms of Guilt. Because guilt, while it's a great short-term motivator, it will not carry you for the long term. You can feel guilty about praying and you can try to start praying more and that's gonna last maybe a couple of days. Ultimately, if you guys are gonna make it for the long haul, if I'm gonna make it for the long haul, if we're gonna do this together, we have to continually rest in the grace that has been shown us by Jesus. We're not after forced discipline, we're after unforced rhythm. These are rhythms of grace. As we lean more into the depth of God's love for us, we will naturally want to go deeper in our walk with him. As a follower of Christ, you are not defined by the length of your prayers. You are defined by the love of the Father. And he's inviting you today into deep, intimate relationship with him through simple, heartfelt, authentic prayer. And you don't have to be an expert to do this. Take simply what Jesus has shown us what to pray. Spend some time with the Lord this week and ask him to give you a heart and give you a soul and a mind and let the goal of your life to be where we started in Psalm 63 with the words of the psalmist. Lord, my heart and soul thirst for you. They long for you. My flesh faints for you. Ask God that he would give us a passion for his name and for his glory, that we would look deeply into his love for us so that we would want to live deeply in our lives for him. Thanks so much for joining us again uh, this week. Next week, we'll be right here again in Matthew chapter 6, looking at the rhythm of fasting. So any questions that you have this week about fasting, feel free to send those to me directly, taylor at crosscommunity.org. We love you. Grateful for you. We'll see you next time.